This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. It's time for Abraham's Wallet, isn't it, Mark? It's time for Abraham's Wallet mailbag episode. Now, this is the first mailbag episode we've ever done. Um, and I'm excited about that because I really get into hearing from our people, but we've never, ever talked about hearing from our people. And so I'm excited just to tell people, number one, did you know that if you ever um, write in in any way that we take your comments very seriously and that we listen, we do this whole thing, write this stuff and talk to talk to this stuff, not because uh, Mark needs to hear my brilliant thoughts or because I, I need more of Mark. It's because we hope to serve the people out there who feel the same kind of vacuum in the space that we have felt. So when we get specific comments or questions from people, I mean, it really rather thrills me. That's, it's just like when I'm teaching the Bible. It rather thrills me when people have questions and want to poke and prod around the idea because I know that we're getting engagement. So anyways, before we even get into this stuff, I just want to cheerlead anybody who would ever listen to us and react to us or ask us questions. Um, I could just do I could just do mailbag stuff all day personally and just write content out of what people's questions are. So that's me cheerleading people connecting with us. Yeah, it's great. So we have to confess some, some some things before we dig into this because number one, this mailbag comes, I just went back and looked for notes that I thought were fun from the last quite a while. We always actually write back when people write us uh, unless unless you tell us about the difficult financial situation that your uncle in Nigeria has fallen upon and you could need us to wire you $5,000. We don't write those back. But um, for the most part, we always write back. And if you recognize your name in this mailbag, you probably already got a response from us that might or might not be exactly the same thing we're going to say today. So I hope that we offer something new to those five or six of you who we selected for this episode. But uh, for the rest of you, know that if you were to ever get an itch to reach out to us, we would probably write you back right away. That's right. We would. And for today, we're going to talk back to you. And I hope that the emails we've chosen are, are representative in some way, but if they're not, tough luck because you didn't write in. So we're just going to talk to the people that did. So I'll start. I'm going to read. I'm going to read one, uh, and then we'll go. Is that, are you happy with that format, Mark? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. First one. This is um, a guy named Michael in Kentucky, and he says we bought a duplex in May and we did some renovations and now we're looking for our first tenants. Good for you, Michael. Splashing out there, going on a little adventure. We live in one unit and we're looking to rent the other one out. My question is regarding tithing on the rental income. I feel like I should be giving something back to God when we start receiving rental income, but I'm not sure how much, what to base that tithe on. Should I give 10% of the gross rent amount or just 10% of the cash flow? How should I be thinking about that? Um, do you, you want to first, respond? We first, we should just give Michael in Kentucky a high five for doing a little house hacking. Uh, I think that if you live in a spot where there's duplexes available and you're thinking, well, man, I could do buy a starter home and then sell it and move. Uh, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, if you could buy a duplex and live rent free while building equity in that duplex and then later move to a home that you Genius. might want to upgrade to and keep the duplex. Genius. There's so many good things that will happen for you. You'll get a cheaper mortgage because you bought it as a primary residence. You will not have to pay taxes on that duplex when you sell it. 
um, at the same level that you would if you just owned a pure investment property uh, because you lived in it for a while. Uh, there's just, there's lots of good things that happen. So high five, Michael. Indeed. Well, I, I would just want to um, respond, just to answer his question point blank, but I'll just start by saying as a disclaimer, we've written a couple of articles about tithing and I'll just say this. Um, yes, tithing is biblical. It's there. I no longer think that tithing is the standard for giving, um, but it's always a great place to start a discussion. You know, it's it, and and for Michael here, who seems convicted that he should tithe, I'll answer his question the way that he's asking it. But I just have to throw that disclaimer in there that. Um, I don't think I don't think the discussion begins and ends at whether you're doing your 10% or not. Uh, I'll I'll also throw in here that we really believe in something called first fruits, and that is the first part that ever comes in. You and and you get to decide what that what part what I mean when I say part, but the first part that comes in goes to the Lord somehow. Um, it, it it could be a celebration offering, it could be a gift that you give somewhere to His work, it could be something that well we're going to talk about giving a little bit more um in another in, a, in another email we're going to address but um i'm just going to answer his question straight on and and you know i'll just say this michael it's tricky running a business because it's kind of like well that is that my household income or is that this business income or did i just i mean is it, you know it's just weird to think because because all your money can run together Especially if, uh, especially the well, you know, I don't wait. I don't know how you're treating this rental income as if it's a separate business or something. But I would just think of it um, in Leviticus 27, where there's a there's a section on tithing around verse 30 to 32. What it says is, when the fullness of the land comes in, you tithe on that. So let's just think about that for a second. So the the let's say the the seed has already been paid for all of the workers have already been paid who 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 sowed sowed that seed they worked that land um they did whatever irrigation or or, or tearing out of uh, weeds was necessary and then the land produces this fruit and from that fullness of the land then there a tithe happens now for me I'm happy for Mark to disagree, but for me, that means that we're past cost of goods, that we're into we're into profit specifically because we've already paid for everybody, and now we're talking about the fullness of what comes in. So I would say that this is that um, that this is off this is off the top. This is again the the phrase is what would come in the the, the money that comes into your home from the fullness of your work. So I, I would even say that that's post-tax, that that's post-tax money, because that this is all sort of cost of goods. This is what it costs to, to produce this, um, this rent money. And when it comes into your house, before it kind of goes into your bank account as profit, that's what I would tithe on, because that's what actually comes into your storehouse. Mark, you have any? any yeah, a couple of things. I've... I've worked for a company that was uh, making $700 million of revenues in a year. And two years in a row, we made less than $2 million in profit. Um, and so let's say it wasn't, but let's say that company was run by uh, and owned by a believer. If he felt the need to tithe, 10% of 700 million, he would have been out of business in about two months. Um, so I don't think that that me, I, I just think there's, there's an illustrative principle in hyperbole there. I don't think it necessarily means anything. And to that end, and I, I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this, Stephen, but the, the bigger point is obedience versus trying to figure out the formula here. Yeah. Um, and I talked to you guys, I, I talked to clients who are asking my opinions on financial situation stuff sure. all day. And I talked to clients who sometimes have very little resources, but they feel very strongly that the Lord has said, 
we want you giving a percentage of gross. And I say, great, that's, uh, that's unassailable. We're going to be obedient. Even if, even if you're wrong, I want you to obey. I agree much more than I want you to uh, follow the rules, whether that's upside or downside. So, um, you know, I would say in this case, you might be in a place where you can give 10% of gross and you feel like that is either what the Lord's told you to do, or you just feel like that would be great. So just do it. That sounds great. You might, sure. you might be in a place later in life where you let two families live rent free in this because you've been so successful in other ventures that this is, this whole thing is a gift. Um, sure. And you might be in a place where man, giving more than 5% of the net of this thing is going to put you in some really hot water. And so I, I just think there's some freedom there to, to ask the Lord what, what it is that he wants you to do right now and be obedient and move forward. Totally agree. Totally agree. I just want to, I, I just wanted to honor Michael's question as it was asked. And sometimes I feel like, um, people won't give straight answers and say, okay, well, based on the question you're asking, here's what I do. So I just wanted to give him a detailed response. You want to handle the next one? Sure. All right. We, one thing that delighted me in assembling this mailbag is the, we had so many uh, different geographies represented. Yeah. We had London. We had not, I don't think we got any Londons in this mailbag, but we have had, uh, India, Australia, yeah, and then all sorts of different states. So, I just happened to be looking at our um, little analytics stuff yesterday and noticing. I think we had two people in the Congo that were reading Abraham's wallet, and then there was this clutch of people in Virginia. There's this little town in Virginia that they, they were just going crazy. I don't know, or maybe it was one household that had like 15 people. They were all <laughs> it's just bizarre one little town i don't know that's crazy we're very popular in in north korea right now oh great bring it on uh that's joke uh so david in nebraska wrote us and he said mark i monitor the financial solvency of health insurers i look at their financial statements and other filings i enjoy it sometimes but it's not always challenging which is why i listen to podcasts often I'm using it as a good foundation and would like to either work my way up in insurance or work for a mission organization as the finance manager. I have an interest in financial planning, specifically the fee-only financial planning like Outpost Advisors, rather than selling products, but I'm not sure if there's a market for it in the small town in Nebraska. Time will tell and God will lead. But one last question, what career advice would you give a guy in my shoes? So... I really liked this question because I think not many of you guys are in small towns in Nebraska, but probably many of you guys are in a similar career spot where you're working in a job that you're thankful for and that you're probably very good at, but it may not be the job of your dreams. Uh, And you're sort of asking, how should I think about work and uh, what kind of, I'm a young guy. I, I, don't necessarily need a lot of money, but if I did stay in this job, I'm making a lot of money. And so what, what do you think I should do? Um, I think that's probably a question a lot of people could resonate with. And what I wrote back to David uh, was really that my experience uh, was something that I've heard our friend Jeremy Pryor also talk about quite a bit and kind of Right now, the system that we, most of us live and work in, it gives 20-somethings a lot of free time when they're working. So you can go to happy hours and kind of show up at work and get your stuff done pretty easily, not, not terribly demanding of you. But then by the time you're in your 40s and 50s, uh, most people who stay in the standard workforce are going to be asked to work 60 hour weeks and they're going to be, this is the time when they're most needed in the household as fathers. And they're going to be asked to have the highest demands on them in the workforce. Um, And that doesn't really jive with the way that we see the kind of biblical model of fatherhood going. Um, I don't want to be working 60 plus hour weeks when I'm in my forties and fifties. So 
when I was 23, I was leaving home at 7 a.m., returning at 11 p.m., and I really did bust my butt uh, during that time of life. I don't recommend that for a long time, and I actually kind of hated it while it was happening. But for a short season, it was really a useful thing to work at a very demanding place where the expectation was that everything I did had to be done with excellence. Um, I remember a boss that I had back then that would call me into his office, I think just for fun at 10 p.m. and ask me to move something on a PowerPoint slide two centimeters to the left. And I'd do it right in front of me like, no, no, go downstairs and print out another copy and then come back in about 20 minutes. And I'm just thinking like, what? And so I'd do it, I'd come back and go, now it was better the way it was before. Why don't you go back and, and bring me back the old one? And there's a lot in that. I think there was a lot of identity stuff wrapped up in that for him too. But Sounds like it. But uh, it actually kind of made me uh, a lot stronger in future jobs that I had because I'd gone through this period of extremely demanding work where I had to completely submit to a boss and produce something that would, would please them. And if I could go back to kind of tell my 23 year old self a few things, I'd probably say to press into some of the more boring stuff I did back then. Um, so I had some weird opportunities like sitting next to the CEO of Freddie Mac during the 2008 financial crisis and teaching him how to explain convexity hedges to our investors. And I thought that was pretty boring, but looking back, I'm kind of like, man, that was a crazy opportunity that I'm probably gonna be able to tell my grandkids about. Um, and it seems possible that you'll probably, in the types of jobs you might have in your 20s, if you really look for it, be able to kind of find um, just interesting stuff to to learn in stuff that otherwise you could probably just breeze right over and sort of get the task done and move on. So yeah. I would I would tell myself to do that, um, and maybe press into the to the hard work. But I could talk a lot about build wealth like an ant, which I'm sure we will later. Uh, I think the other the other big takeaway for somebody who's early in their career is that that is a time when if you can live frugally and uh, learn things, you're, it's a time to not only accumulate skills, which you're probably doing in a job like monitoring the financial, the uh, financial solvency of insurance companies, but also to build up capital. And you might say, well, I only have $10,000 a year left over when I pay my bills at this age. But that's actually quite a lot of money when you think about the time you would have yes. for that to grow. So that's kind of the other big one. And thankfully, I think I got this one right. And it set me up really 20 years later or 15 years later to be able to start a business. And that's something that I covered in a whole lot of detail on the build wealth like an ant series, which is just the slowness of that most of us will experience if we're going to try to do some of these big things like build family businesses, build piles of, of resources for our family. Um, some people will experience that happening in a year or two, but most of us, it's going to be a multi-decade process. And the first decade of that process, which is what it sounds like, um, yeah it sounds like David is in right now is actually one of the most important, even if you only scrape together $35,000 in that decade. Um, so that's yes. my thoughts. Yeah. So your, your, um, build wealth, like an ant series, you did a whole, um, article on work and I, I don't think we've, we've given work, um, itself the, the kind of thorough treatise that we will do in the future but I, it does merit repeating from your series that that there's a popular notion because of things like the four hour work week and um, the sort of sexiness of entrepreneurism these days. Um, there's a tendency of guys wanting to jump straight from college or college age years right into running a family business without having any of the historical time where you would apprentice and you would you would sit under somebody who's actually running a successful business and learned underneath their leadership all the skill all the skills that you would have to have so that you could go out on your own 
And so I, I would I would just reiterate um, to who is this guy? Um, Mark? David in Nebraska. Oh yeah, David in Nebraska. To to David in Nebraska, um, man, don't poo poo the time that you are doing a job um, where you have the opportunity to gain skill, and and um, even if he may be a charlatan, um, Robert Kiyosaki did write this idea that I, I I remembered forever, where he said, "Think of your years when you're in employment, where you're being employed." think of those as training and that you're getting a job where you can be trained to do something. Well, if you think of your job that way, then mark the years that you spent doing extra work and taking on optional responsibility and stuff was really, really smart because it, it built up uh, reps in you and you started to understand business and money and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you could be a painter and, and it's the same thing. You'll start to create this backlog of experience that will pay off for you with, with where you plan on going. And so if, uh, if Nebraska uh, can think of things that way, then he cannot check out of his job. That's so important to not, not half-ass your job and dial in and go, what am I supposed to be learning here? And then one thing I want to say back to him also is, he said, did you read this part where he kind of said you, the kind of stuff that you guys do, I would be interested in doing in my small town in Nebraska. Did you read that? Yeah. Okay. I, mine was checked out. Sorry. So I would just say back to him that financial advising is totally needed in a small town. And I think it could be part of a suite of offerings. You know, it, I know guys who, who are, who have an office in a small town and think if, if you ever respected high integrity, high excellence office that does financial advising and CPA work, you'll be drawing people from all from small towns all around you. And if you know, if you don't think small town people and uh, farmers need uh, financial help and CPA work, you just haven't been around. Because I, I would just I would just encourage him and go, I don't think that's a dumb goal at all. And I think you should just dial in to where he is and and keep that dream alive. And maybe that dream will morph in the next 15 years, but he should be gathering skills diligently like an ant. Yeah. And, you know, I think I probably wrote this back to David, but we envisioned that being kind of the growth pattern for our own company, which is that we are hiring some people to do financial planning in small towns uh, around the country because one of the great things about, that we've learned as a, as a nation over the COVID crisis is that that type of thing, it really doesn't matter if you're sitting a mile away or 3,000 miles away if we're all yes. going to be on Zoom anyways. Um, yeah. So lots of opportunities there. And we'll be staying in touch with Dan, uh, David in Nebraska. Sweet. Okay, this is Greg in Colorado. I'll hit this one pretty quick. He said, um, over the past few years, Greg in Colorado, our family has been more aligned with 10% gross tithing and a few above and beyond offerings. However, from what I can infer, from what Stephen is saying and writing in the Unified Theory of Giving series, is that we should give to our church, but perhaps we need more stewardship over those giving resources instead of blindly giving all that money to our 50C3 church. I know your family, Mark, has had to wrestle with this specifically with being in more of an outpost locale like Salt Lake City. Have you found resources and readings that have helped guide your practice on giving? As our family gets into a financially secure position, we look to be more generous, but also grow our family team on mission. Um, well, I love this email. And as I said in the Unified Theory series, I am so excited to think of people spreading their wings with regards to giving. Um, and and th and doing exactly what Greg in Colorado is doing, which is going, you know, I usually just have rolled out of bed, written a check to the place where I go on Sunday mornings, and then just kept going with my life. And what I say in the Unified Theory of Giving is, I think you are far underselling the effectiveness that you're supposed to have in your calling and your mission when you do that. Um, yes, support your local church. Great. Good. Do that. 
and understand that your local church's mission is not the same as your mission. And I mean that from like a gifts and calling standpoint, you were put on earth to do specific things. One thing I know I was put on earth to do is to make disciples. So I am going to spend time with young men to make disciples and I'm going to set fire in a good way to anything around me that I, where I see discipleship happening. I don't care if it's with my local church. I don't care if it's in my state, I'm going to do anything I can to encourage disciple making. And so my money, let's say my church isn't really into disciple making that much. And as a percentage of their efforts, they're not, it's a, my, my local church is a very evangelistic uh, kind of seeker friendly thing. Great. I give money to them and I want my money to go towards disciple making. Cause that's what I was made for. So I need to either need to invent some 501c3 that makes, makes uh, disciples, makers happen, and I help train them, or I find um, something like Navigators, which has been making disciples for a long time, give money, et cetera, et cetera. That, you get my point. I, I just want to say to old Greg here, I just saw yesterday in the Great Depression, churchgoers gave 3.3% of their money. So uh, again, I'm totally fine, you know, talking about the tithe as a, as a bottom line. In the Great Depression, churchgoers gave 3.3% of the money. Right now, we give 2.5% of our money as churchgoers. So we are more selfish and stingy than we've ever been when our our nation's wealth has gone up, you know, by tenfold or whatever it is since the Great Depression. And and in my church, at, at a mega church like mine in Cincinnati, 1% of people in our church report giving a tithe at all. So, <laughs> hey, Greg, God bless you. You're doing great. I, I'd say to anybody that's trying to walk forward and giving, man, just give more. Just just give more and 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 again don't just give blindly but start doing some work on why has god put us here again you can walk through that series the unified theory of giving and it'll help you with some of that stuff but one thing i was kind of challenged in reading old greg's email here um as p as, as he's wrestling through how can we put our money more in line with our mission and the vision of our family I was thinking maybe we need to build a little guide for people that'll help walk them through that process. Maybe that's a product that we could make in coming years. That's kind of exciting to think about. I think that you hit it on the head. I don't know that I have a whole lot to add to that. I've, I think I've had several back and forths with Greg since he wrote this and before he wrote this. So I just say, knowing what I know about Greg and his family, you're right on Steven. They're uh, an exciting bunch who are going to do cool things with whatever awesome. they figure out. Awesome. I'll read this next one because I would like to field it first. Here's the question. This is Dave in Idaho. How much should I leave in my savings account when putting down a down payment on a home? Here's, here's, his, here's his setup. We have an emergency fund which covers about six months at this time, six months of income. We have roughly 48K in savings aside from the emergency fund. We're looking to buy a home in the range of 150K. I'm a veteran. I wouldn't have to do a down payment because of the VA home loan, but we will put uh, down a down payment. So we're just wondering if we should be liberal with that down payment and put down the standard 20%, which would be around 30K, and we would still have about 18K left in our savings. Or should we uh, put more money down? And we're looking into a 15-year fix so that we can pay off the home as soon as possible. I wanted to um, take a first stab at this by saying, um, Mark, please answer this question. <laughs> All right. Uh, so mortgages are a really fun topic right now because uh, I don't know if you've checked, but here's a free piece of uh, financial education for everyone. If you are a homeowner right now and you haven't refinanced your mortgage in the past year or so, uh, go check it out. I'm not telling you you should, but 
for a lot of people right now, it's a fantastic opportunity to take advantage of rates. I'm seeing people in Salt Lake City refinance into 30-year loans at 3%. And that's pretty historically unheard of. Um, In my family, we just refinanced a 15-year loan down to 2.5%. And so... What I would say to Dave in Idaho is that it really, this might be the ever-present unsatisfying answer, but it always depends on your situation. So if you're, Dave, you didn't say uh, how old you are or kind of uh, whether you guys have any money set aside maybe in retirement funds or anything like that, but if you were 45 and had been well on your way to saving for retirement, I might say, um, yeah, paying off the house pretty, pretty quickly on a 15 year loan makes a lot of sense. If you are 25 and you, uh, haven't started saving at all for, for the long run for, we say retirement, what I really just mean is to save money now so that you can do other things that don't require you to sell your time in the future, whether that's traditional retirement or something else. Um, But uh, if that was you, um, I might even say, hey, rates are so low right now, you could take a 30-year mortgage instead of a 15-year mortgage and use the monthly savings to invest for the long run. So if you think about what kind of return you could get on a portfolio of stocks and bonds, if you were pretty aggressive and had 90% of it in stocks, you might earn seven and a half percent per year um, over very long periods of time, averaged out. You might lose 30% next year. We don't know. But over long periods of time, you probably earn about seven to 8% on that money. I would be happy to borrow money at 3% if I could make seven to 8% on it for the long term. So What I see a lot of people do, and I think this is a good impulse, is to say we're not interested in being in debt and we want to be debt-free. And so we're going to put all of our money into a house. And then once we get that taken care of, we'll do saving for the long term. Um, For some people, that's a good move, but it's just worth going into it with eyes wide open that I've told a lot of people recently, you know, you can do this. And I... I'm not telling you what to do, but if you put the majority of your money into a home down payment, in most places in America, that's going to grow at 1% to 3% per year in value. It's just whatever your home is going to grow in value. Whereas if you put that to work somewhere else and used a mortgage, uh, you would be able to grow your wealth at a much faster pace. Um, so There's some nuance to that. I don't recommend ever buying a house that if it dropped in value by 20 or 30%, you'd be stuck. Um, So that's another consideration uh, is I don't want anybody to be stuck like they were often in 2008, 2009. But if you're not overextending and you've got the money, then I think sometimes the right move is to put a smaller down payment and do something that will kind of benefit you more in the long run with, with the remainder. Okay. Fair enough. Um, we got two more. I'm going to do Joe in Iowa should come first. Yeah, I agree. Joe in Iowa says I'm 25 years old with two kids and I have a real desire in my heart to steward our resources with wisdom and build something that outlasts me. Good boy, Joe in Iowa. I want to maximize and increase the resources that Jehovah has entrusted to our stewardship. Also really knowable, Joe. And his next sentence is, I don't know how to do that. I want to maximize and increase the resources that Jehovah has entrusted to our stewardship, and I don't know how to do that. I don't even know how to think about that. That's the value I get out of your content. I want to know what I should be doing today that will set up my family for success for generations to come. Um. <laughs> You know, this is, I think this is exactly the guy that you wrote the uh, Wealth Like an Ant series for, who just kind of presents himself to us and goes, I just did not get training in this stuff. My dad didn't talk to me about uh, building anything. It was just like, get a paycheck, try to spend it, try to be happy and move on. And uh, sweet old uh, Joe in Iowa wants some more info. Um, 
So um, I, I, not only do I think that the Ant series is perfect for him, but it just talks about how to, how to make specific steps where he is right now. And I would just say to Joe that you don't have to have the whole plan worked out. All you have to do is be faithful with where you are today. And the, the word of God says that his word to us is, you might have heard this before, but it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And many uh, Bible scholars believe that that, when it says a lamp to our feet, that there were actually these little lanterns that were on, that you could wear on your feet um, back in the day in desert, desert Bible time days. And so that they would simply show you where the next place to put your feet was. And you couldn't run at full speed. You just had these little foot lamps um, to take you down a dark path. And I would say to Joe, uh, you don't have to have the whole plan. You need to just be faithful with what God's given you. So some of the things that we even, even talked about today regarding give yourself an excellence to your work right now. Um, give your first fruits to the Lord. Start working with your wife about where your giving goes and um, start start taking that extra part, as Mark was just talking about, and start start doing some investing. Even a small amount when you're as young as Joe is, even a small amount putting aside will, will grow to huge amount because you're being faithful in a small thing. So I would just, Joe sounds a little bit flustered at 25 with two kids. And I would just say, Joe, you're already ahead, I think, of where I was as a 25-year-old um, just by asking these questions. So uh, at the risk of being uh, sounding unhelpful, because I'm not giving you specifics, I would just say, just stay tuned in. Um, you're walking exactly the road that we want to help guys walk down. And I'll say again, I, I, I think we have more to say on the biblical ethic of work in the future. Um, I'll, he has a little bit more to his email, which I want to read, unless you want to comment first, Mark. Well, I was just going to kind of summarize what he said later in the email and uh, give him some tips. Uh, did you want to read the, the whole next two paragraphs? I'm just going to read the last part about okay, our, save our, that. our content. Yeah, save that. I think one, Joe kind of filled us in on what he does. He's a software engineer and what he enjoys doing and feeling like, well, it's hard to integrate my family into my work right now. I am a builder. I love woodworking, making furniture. I dream of, my, like, could I ever turn these into a career? And just to be a little bit more specific, because I spent a long time working managing software developers. Um, I do think, Joe, that you're in one of the absolute best careers for somebody who's in that accumulate wealth, provide for family, and um, develop skills that could be useful in all sorts of places, phases of life. Um, I think that with software, it's kind of one of the best places to make sure you're in a role that you're always able to go out and add more things to your tool belt. So you want to learn how to do mobile development, then make sure you're doing that. You want to, uh, you didn't mention like what you're working on, but uh, almost every company I've worked at with software devs, though the ones who were the absolute best to work with were the folks who were always saying, I want to switch teams so I can learn something new. And that's just a cool opportunity. If you're in a job that says we want you in this desk for 10 hours a day and five days a week, um, I would suggest looking around because there's a lot of great companies hiring software developers, especially right now, that would be happy for you to work from home all the time if that's what you want to do. Um, so you are in one of the most high demand spots. And I would say, even though you're a young guy, don't feel afraid to leverage that because you have a ton of value and there's um, a lot of companies right now who would love to pay for your services. Make sure you're at a place where you're building that skill set aggressively. Wow. Joe in Iowa, you didn't know that you're going to be tuning into it. Encouragement hour here, affirmation time. That's that's kind of exciting. Well, I but I wanted to. It's coming now. The discouragement where you tell him, "Sorry, Joe, but get off of our curb." Right? 
<laughs> no, he, he's about to make a comment about our content. And it's this is, you know, we don't really have a forum outside of this uh, podcast to actually talk about Abraham's wallet and what we do. We just kind of give out the, out the content. But uh, I'd like to address what, what he said, which is he, he's a little bit frustrated at us. And he says at the end, if I can just make a, con a comment about your content, I think sometimes it can deviate quite a bit from the topics of financials or what I would consider to fall into the Abraham's wallet category of material. Although the content within the deviation is excellent, I think it might be better suited for a different podcast or platform. When I listen to Abraham's wallet podcast, I want to be able to quickly find discussions about how to steward finances, invest, give, spend, build, train children in finance, et cetera, not necessarily how to lead a men's group. <laughs> so, I just wanted to say to, um, to to Joe and really to everybody that um, we the, the little tagline that we came up with for Abraham's Wallet was um, to to run your uh, home and your money like a biblical boss, and so dough not money. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I, I was I was just God. I don't know what it is. Your dough like a biblical boss. So. I don't know how to to divorce those things. I don't know how to separate money from what you're doing in the leadership of your home. I don't know how to separate, um, for instance, um, Mark's got this great project he's he's doing with his oldest daughter right now, where he is doing a home project but teaching her finances because he's kind of sub contracting his daughter to do to do the deal so he's paying for her and she's paying uh, other people and why is he doing that because it's a financial play yes it's a financial play and also because he's leading his family so we could have four different discussions about this little project mark's doing with his daughter and it could be about discipline it could be about child training it could be about how she will learn the Bible more with a paintbrush in her hand with her dad bringing the scriptures to life than she will sitting around an open book. We could talk about all of these things because they all go together. So I, I have to apologize or maybe just explain to Joe, we'll never stop doing some of the soft skills around home leadership and even, I mean, I've been thinking this week about, because there's so much unraveling happening in culture, and who, who are the pastors? I mean, I, I, I'm going to just go on a teeny tiny rant right now. Do you know who, who the pastors are in our culture? Do you know who pastors are, biblically speaking? Did you know that in the Bible there's no such thing as a little C church? There's no such thing as a little red brick church house on the corner? Do you know who the pastors are? It's the fathers. Fathers are pastors. So you have this little flock of sheep that you take care of. According to um, Ezekiel 34, your job is to make sure that they're healed and whole and that they're saved and healed and delivered from all of their diseases. So, so in a way, I could ask the question, well, who, who is the person in society that most needs to hear what the Bible has to say about pastoring the church? It's fathers. It's you guys listening to us right now. So where does where do we stop talking about money and start talking about, say, how to lead your wife or love your wife well? You simply can't divorce these issues. So that's why we have called out in our little tagline that you're running your home and your dough. So we wanted to call out that, okay, this major piece of running your family that we feel that the church has rather drop the ball on is financial and being specific and giving hard answers to financial questions. Um, so we want, we want to do that space. We want to give you hard answers about insurance and estate planning. You know, we want to and, and talk about your mortgage rates and stuff like that because there, because there's been an emptiness in, in that space, but I, we will never and cannot separate that from more of the spiritual uh, soft skills. May, maybe we'll do a better job in the future, Joe, of calling out, hey, this podcast is going to be more soft. This past, this podcast is going to be more technical. This article is going to be hard financial numbers. But that's the space that we live in and uh, that Abraham's wallet is we're never going to pick one side or the other. We, we really want to 
hold both of those two things in tension. And I totally understand if you're like, look, I love Jesus and I think I get the Bible. I just want some some hard financial advice. Totally understand that. You're just going to have to wade through the other stuff because that's where we live. End of rant. I dropped a mic, but it was carpeted, so you can't hear anything. <laughs> um, let's right. move on to this final question, which I will final, read. Final email. I will read this yeah. question, and you will respond first. All right? Okay. I don't know if there is a question in here, but go ahead. I don't think there is, but we want to make some comments around this. Okay, email. great. So, Danny in Minnesota Danny, we hope you're doing okay. It's yeah, been, Danny, stay out of town after dark. He's in Minneapolis area, the Twin Cities, I'm told. Um, and man, it sounds crazy out there. So just a comment from a guy coming from a Jewish background who crazily found Jesus and is always yes. striving to learn how to lead his Minnesota family. Yes. I found my way from my wife tagging me in Jeff Bethke's post on how many kids you should have. I had two to listening to his podcast, to finding Jeremy Pryor, to finding family teams, to finding an early version of family revision, to leading my wife for the first time toward doing story form life, to hearing about you from the family teams and learning so much from your podcast. Among my Minnesota friends, I'm the guy who constantly talks about dads building teams, family teams, and now I'm the guy who shares Abraham's Wallet podcasts. Yes. I have three kids and a fourth on the way. Wow. All this to say, keep doing what you guys are doing. I'm loving listening and dialoguing with my wife about these things and growing in financial and biblical leadership. Wow. Thank you for doing what you do and making me a better man through Jesus. Wow. Danny, you Minnesota Jew, you're, you're, you're a, what's the word? Uh, What's the, what's the word for, there's some Hebrew word that means a blessing. I can't think of. Um, wow. What a blessing. That's great. You know what? We're so excited to hear from Danny. Praise God that he is using Danny, um, and that he is doing what he promised he would do, which was, he said that he would unveil the Jews, uh, remove the veil between them and the face of the man, Yeshua. And he's doing that in Danny. So we consider Danny to be part of first fruits and a remnant and so exciting. You know what else is exciting? Um, You and I are doing a team meeting next week in a little state I like to call Minnesota. And guess who we're gonna see on the way out to Minnesota? Jew Danny. (laughs) We're gonna see Jew Danny next week. And uh, I'm glad you followed up with Danny and connected with him and so uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll put up something on on the on the tweets. Maybe a picture of all of us together or something. But we're really delighted to be able to connect with with Danny and um, man. It makes me so excited to hear a guy like him who is coming out of a Jewish background. Going, what does it mean to follow Jesus and to get the full counsel of Scripture regarding finances and leading? He's like telling that he was he was the first time to lead his wife and now he's got a four a fourth child on the way and hallelujah he, he's part of he's part of my uh what's the word mishpocha he's part of my family old danny mishpocha yeah i think what was really cool about this is i wrote back to danny and i was pretty as soon as i read this email i was like steven's gonna be really excited about this one and oh yeah but we had a little back and forth and Danny said something. I didn't know where he was located until, uh, well, I guess I did because he said his his Minnesota family in the first email. But um, he said something about being in the, the Twin Cities area. And I said, and he closed his email with, if you're ever in town, let's hang out. Or we'd love to, love to get to see you guys. And I said, well, Steve and Manuel and I will be about five miles from your house in two weeks. So pretty fun that we're going to get to meet Danny. And Unbelievable. I have met a few people from 
from the podcast who have written in. And I just want to say, I, you know, when we were planning this episode, you said, I bet people don't know that we actually would love to sit down and have a coffee with them when we're doing our travels around the country. So if you're out there and you ever would like to, to reach out and say, Hey, next time you're in, I don't know, where are we going to be next? Hopefully Costa Mesa, California. Indianapolis. Yeah, Indianapolis. Actually, we are. We're going to be in Indianapolis in August, aren't we? Yep. And who knows? I'm always looking for excuses to go certain places too. So if anybody, if anybody lives in the Bahamas, uh, well, that's what I that's what I meant. Is like if you live in San Luis Obispo and you need to have a cup of coffee with me, I will just really try to get out there to you. Yep. So that's it for the mailbag. you guys are, are just a big encouragement to us. So thanks for listening. Thanks for writing in. It's really fun to read some of these. And maybe we'll do this again if, if you guys like it. Yeah. And the more that you guys talk to us, the more that we will create content that scratches you where you itch. So it can only help all of us for you to talk to us. So thank you so much. We bless all of you for listening. Um, bless you in your families and the leadership bless you this coming Shabbat. I hope that you prepare some great stuff to give your family as the spiritual leader of your home, the Shabbat. And I also just bless everybody financially. And, and, um, what I mean by that is there's such a squeeze. I mean, I just, I met with another couple of guys this morning and they just feel the financial squeeze of our, there is a vice clamping down on our, our nation. It continues to tighten. And I just want to tell everybody that your father will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. And you are not beholden to your employer. He, he's not the, the beginning and ending of your provision. Your father is your provision and he's going to take care of you and your family. I'll give you a great uh, verse. Uh, Psalm 25, 37 says, I have been young and now I am old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. You can just swallow that whole and just say, the Lord's going to take care of me. He said he would. Jesus reiterated this in the um in the sermon on the mount that he takes care of the flowers and the birds and he knows how to take care of his children and that's a great verse from it's either actually i should have looked this up i'm just talking off the top of my head it's either psalm 27 25 37 or it's 37 25 but i think it's 25 37. um i have been young now i am old i have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread bless you abrahamic family leaders For Abraham's Wallet, this is Steve Emanuel. And I'm Mark Parrott. Catch you later. Bye.